All right, welcome everybody to the sixth episode of the Scotch Money Show, where we drink scotch and we're supposed to talk about money. But today, obviously, it's a Dimitri-less episode. He's currently traveling around Asia and it's a crazy schedule. In one week, he'll be speaking with investors from Taipei, Shanghai, the Philippines, and Hong Kong. So it's just me and Hunter today. Uh, I'll start this off with uh, an Ardberg. Let's get this going. It's supposed to be the best whiskey in the world. Uh, and one of the things that they tout is uh, that it's the deepest and most balanced scotch, uh, revered by connoisseurs as something extraordinary. Uh, I've given this a try a few, almost a year ago. Um, I haven't touched the bottle since. So let's just give it a try. Uh, I went with Dimitri's pro tip from a few episodes ago. He said, always add ice. Okay. I'm drinking this from a Norland glass, which is um, this fancy glass shape over here. Mm. Oh, I remember why I like that. Um, so I like... I like um, Isle scotches, like Lafroix. Have that smokiness. Um, but I also like scotches like uh, Yamazaki and Hibiki. Well, they're not scotches, they're whiskeys. Uh, but these things, uh, you know, like because of its, its fruitiness and its caramelly, and I, I, I go a lot for the caramel uh, notes. And this one, they are correct. Uh, it is balanced. It has a bit of both. I wouldn't call it the best whiskey in the world, but when you're like, faced with indecision and you don't know if you want to go with peat or if you want to go with a bit of caramel um, and sweetness, Ardberg, it's great. How do you spell it? It is A-R-D-B-E-G. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it properly. I will continue to mispronounce things consistently. Wow, that's cool. What is the A thing going on? Is that their logos? There's some wings coming off of there? I think so. I should do my research oh, nice. on scotch before actually, before actually bringing it into the show. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, it's 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 what I like. If you like if you like Lafroy, um, and if you like um, Kibiki, um, it's 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 a good balance in between. Nice. So yeah, it seems like it's got a little of those Celtic swirls worked in. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah, yeah. I I do I do like their bottling. Um, <laughs> it it makes it feel uh, very um, Scottish. It's got a good shape too. I was recently watching something on bottle shape and a special on the Absolute brand and how they chose their bottle shape and what their bottle shape came to represent and consequently influenced their whole marketing campaign. What? Yeah, the straight with the curve, you know, yeah. set them off from other bottles as a distinct shape. And so they, they did that on purpose so that, you know, they'd be highly visible and recognizable from a distance. And then all of their ad campaigns used that shape of the bottle. If you recall, there was a series of years where all they had was absolute and then some word. And it would be a bottle shape made out of people, made out of fruit, made out of all type of different stuff. But it was all just cut out the shape of the bottle. And uh, they chose it because of its curves. And said that that was appealing as well. So they put a lot of thought into specifically just the bottle and committed to it. It's funny how things like that. I noticed the neck on that bottle is very unique shape. That's why it made me think of it as well, because it curves up around the top and then gets. Oh, yeah. Again. It, 
this the way this is shaped you mean yes yeah yeah very distinguished shape very good to set you know set it apart came out with the came uh, it's like a clothing brand that had some distinct features that you could spot from across the room so people would know that that was it uh for example uh english laundry for a little while was doing um two things they were doing retro fabrics but they were vintage fabric they would take a vintage fabric from something but then cut it into a modern shape and they would do a lot of long sleeve shirts with a three-pointed collar so it would have the two here and then it would have one in the back and what i thought was cool about that is that if you ever saw a three-pointed collar you're like oh that's english laundry yeah because the only thing i associate with them is having the patterns inside whenever i like flip the um the the collar or um the cuffs you have like a completely different pattern inside that's nobody else will see but you know it's there exactly yeah i like those little touches like that they even started adding their little crown in the back right above the little point you know and then they went away from it i was like why, why would you that made you unique <laughs> you know yeah. i liked it i even thought about it. i was like it'd be cool if someone came up with a cuff like a french cuff but instead of having room for just one they had like two or three and the cuff would be like all the way up you know to this like midsection of your arm so it'd be almost like a superhero style you think they have that what you'd think they have that that's a very eclectic style right i think that'd be awesome that way you know people wear french cuffs to show off a, a cuff link what if you had three you could have three on each <laughs> people see during the jacket phase and you pop it off and it's part of a set you know yeah yeah green one and then exposed red yellow green it's like a stoplight down your arm or something i don't know <laughs> You can have your initials, all three letters, you know? I don't know. Oh, man. I just thought it'd be something so distinct that if someone saw it across the room, they'd be like, oh, man, that's a so-and-so. That's how you can charge crazy prices. I've noticed if people can recognize something as being that thing, the more recognizable it is, the more entrenched it gets into, you know, consumer society. And before you know it, they're charging out the wazoo, like especially some of these modern artists. They just have an artistic style and it's just so unique through Instagram. They can spread it so fast that people see this uniqueness, latch on, and they explode, you know? It's a really beautiful thing to watch. Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me of the Robert Graham shirts that I like. Because um, they're very similar to the English laundry. Um, there's a different pattern on the insides. But the pattern on the inside and the pattern on the outside, they're very loud. Um, you know, I, I have this one with little skulls that have like a... a you know, sunglasses with like two different colors on each um, lens. It's nice. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, I well, like that. Into, uh, our episodes today. Um, and this is a bit different. One, not just because I'm in my patio instead of the library. Um, if, if you guys get distracted by the background noise, uh, that's just dogs or birds or, you know, a neighbor um, trimming their lawn um it's it's okay i hope you'll be able to hear me um there's also the the wind you, you see it i hope you don't hear it um but uh for the people listening to the audio um i will put in some video links um into the audio with uh links to specific points in the video um just so that when we're talking to some about something uh you'd be able to go ahead and uh, check it out um so uh, today, we're not going to be talking about a specific topic. Today is a spotlight, um, a spotlight on Hunter Slay. Um, but before we uh, get into that whole thing, um, 
we miss Dimitri. Um, he's not here with us today. And I've prepared a few things to tide us over. So, uh, so let, me, let me do that intro that we all love. Um, we have this. All right. I love it. Oh, that's so Dimitri. If I could pick one item on earth, that yeah. would be so very Dimitri. His guitar. <laughs> Welcome to Scotch Money. Scotch Money Show. Where your friends Dimitri and Brian talk about the things you want to know and the bets you wanted to hear. How about uh, Oh, yeah. So I'm going to tell you about it on the Scotch Money Show. Love it. I love, love it. Oh, man. Oh, that's awesome. I have no guitar talents, but um, I can credit that idea to my wife. We thought it would be really, really funny. Oh, man, that is hilarious. That's what you need to do to help him out when he's in the Philippines. You, just, you talk and do that thing for him. He tells you the English. You do this, like, just, oh. That would be hilarious. It's like live action South Park. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah, good one, Joyce. Fun with crafts. That's awesome. Fun with crafts. Well, Let's get right into it. Uh, and for people listening to the audio, you have to see this. So click the link below to watch that section of the video. Um, definitely go to YouTube for All sure. right, let's get started for real. I'm Brian Arandez and the good looking man beside me is Hunter Slay. Uh, and, you know, Hunter, you're, you're a very high performing individual. You have an immense amount of energy. People already see that. Uh, as we've begun this podcast and we've been speaking about 100 topics a minute. <laughs> um, we were going from design to um, bottles to scotch to shirts um, to cufflinks um, and everything else in between. Um, and you're 40 years old, um, pretty young uh, for what you've done. And right now you are right beside your property uh, that you bought a few years ago and it's giant, it's massive. Um, it kind of reminds me about, um, do you know Calvin and Hobbes? Yeah. Yeah, you know like in the comics, they go out of their house, they go to the backyard and then they get lost in the wilderness for like the whole day. That, that's what your property reminds me of. And you know, it, it, it's just immense. Um, I mean, you, you could talk about uh, your property a bit, but what I want is with something that large and so far away from um, essentially society, um, on, on your most productive days, how do you motivate yourself? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, it's a very self-driven world out here. You're right. I mean, it, nature is very in particular uh it it, it doesn't really <laughs> i don't know of a good way to put this uh i've had to learn some of the cycles in nature 
and live more with it uh, than just in it. Um, because uh, it's, it's not going to be on my schedule. It's on its schedule. So I've kind of had to make my schedule work around it. It's been one of the more challenging uh, parts of my life because I'm used to designing my day. You know, I don't like to live in a reactionary state. I, I like to live in a proactive state where I'm choosing what I'm spending my time on. I'm consciously spending time on things that I've decided I'm passionate about and committed to achieving. Um, so for a while here, uh, kind of sitting back and being a little reactionary uh, to learn the cycles and kind of flow around them and with them has, has been a definite uh, learning process. Uh, but as far as on um, what you mean, um, for example, how does it affect your energy when the weather changes? Um, how oh, does it affect your productivity? Uh, it's very crucial. I, I got really spoiled spending uh, about 10 years in Orlando and then I spent uh, the greater part of 10 years in LA both places are sun drenched, you know, I'm, I'm used to a lot of blue skies and sunny days and I didn't realize until I actually spent some considerable time here in Arkansas that has a full four seasons. You know, I thought it's a great idea. It's a great concept. I experienced it growing up in Mississippi. Um, and, and there's something therapeutic to it, you know, the, the cycle of nature. And so I kind of embraced wanting to be in that again, but, I tell you, when you get three, four, five gray days in a row, it doesn't matter how motivated you are and committed you are to things. Like there's the 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 desire in you to just want to sit on the couch, Netflix and chill, so to speak. I mean, it really starts escalating, and it's it's one of those things I just have to fight by staying on task. And I do that with lists, and I've been utilizing a task tracker app lately which has really, really helped me because um, for a while, lists were enough, you know, like that's one way I handle uh, when I get overwhelmed, you know, I get overwhelmed. My go-to is to create a list. Like let's, let's just put it all out in front of me, everything I got to do. And then I'll order, you know, put it in order of what needs to happen later and then just start checking off the list. Um, but after a while, as life went on, you know, and investments started taking shape, uh, life took its course, things happen in different states, I start getting, you know, assets kind of spread around the country, lists weren't enough, like it, the lists became overwhelming, it, it got to where there was so many lists that it was overwhelming rather than so many things, you know, before it was so many things, so I'd make a list and then it became so many lists, I needed something to kind of keep track of all that. So I created a task list and the task list is actually a list of not only um, activities, but it's a list of lists because I need to spend a certain amount of time every day on these lists. So one of my lists is AR to do like Arkansas to do list. And it's the things I need to do in Arkansas. I have a Vosh list as well. I'm fixing to have to make a separate Vosh social list. Because as activities grow and, you know, responsibilities grow with them, then so does the number of lists. <laughs> and when that happens, I just need some kind of way to make sure I'm contributing to all of those things I've consciously decided to donate my time to. Yeah. And I think that's really important. So I'd like to um, 
it, it may seem a bit trivial to a lot of um, listeners, um, but how do you manage your time around those lists? Because I, I remember you just mentioned that you were using a time tracker app. Um, do you have, do you set time blocks throughout the day for like, hey, this is all of the, I, I do all of the Arkansas um, tasks between and three and then I do Vosh tasks every like five and six um, is there is there like a system um, that allows you to um, you know just just get these lists you know under control well that's the thing in in my city life that's very doable uh, but when I'm here that's just not doable and that's why I've had to you know go with an activity tracker it does track time spent on the activities and I actually searched time tracker when I searched and found this app, but it's actually called a tracker. I recommend it to everyone, uh, but it's called a tracker because it's an activity tracker. And it's very important to delineate the, the difference because I've realized that's exactly what it does. It tracks activity. It's not tracking so much time because time isn't really what I want to know how much I'm spending on. Like, I, it's nice to look at pie charts and bar graphs and see where my time's going. It's very uh, good tool to keep myself accountable and on track. But uh, what's, what it's really helping me to do is to track the activity. Because since I'm dealing with nature, like right now I'm dealing with some guys that are doing logging on part of the property. It had tornado damage and there's some what they call widow makers with a tree leaning on a tree or another tree. And some of them, it's like a domino. There's like four leaning on each other and wind's going to just blow right one day and something's going to give and they're all going to come down and you don't want to be around when that happens. So I'm being proactive there as well and just taking the trees out before I end up with something on my head or something across the path. But these guys are coming, you know, eight in the morning and they stay until roughly three 30. They don't take a lunch. They stagger those. They eat snacks in cab of some of these machines while they're <laughs> between tasks, you know. So I've been having to work around them and I've had to have them come when I'm having to have them come. They can only cut when they're available or free to do one job or the next. And then when it rains, they're off. So I'm, I'm actually pushing and pulling, you know, all these activities. But that's what's cool. By organizing my life by activity instead of time, I've set, for instance, uh, yoga. That's one thing I wanted to commit to doing every day. And yoga, I wanted to at least commit 30 minutes to. Same with meditation. I wanted to spend 30 minutes on meditation. I wanted to spend at least 30 minutes in nature. I would like to spend 30 minutes at least reading and on something new, learning something. You know, I would like to learn Photoshop specifically as a design. That's another activity on there. And I want to do at least 30 minutes of that. But there's things like, you know, Vosh Social and uh, different, you know, uh, I have one section called Paperwork, uh, which is a catch-all for a lot of tedious type stuff. Uh, but there's no time limits on those. And the only reason I put times on the other one is so I would get an alarm when I had reached that time. So I'd at least get like, a, oh, hey, I, I reached my goal today. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not really trying so much as to spend a specific amount of time. I certainly don't want to limit my time in each of those things, but I do want to spend time on each of those things every day. And so to do that, I have to push pull. If I'm, you know, out there like today, I was out there till noon and then the guys got rained out so I can jump on other tasks and knock out some of those that I've been neglecting the past few days. 
and the bars, uh, you know, bar graphs uh, show me I've been neglecting them. I'm like, wow, there's none of this color and none of that color for a couple of days. So as soon as I get any extra time from this AR to do, I'm going to spend it on those tasks, you know, so I can balance it out over the long run. Is that a system that you built for yourself from scratch or is, oh, yeah. is there something our readers can um, reference so they could figure I, out? I, I wish that's something I came up with my, myself. I just basically at some point I decided I was going to fully embrace technology as far as managing my life. I wanted to be kind of self-responsible, I guess. It's a weird way to think of it, but as like, I, I, I didn't want to rely on, you know, a device to tell me when to do something or keep track of all of my thing or I don't know. Uh, same uh, way with, I, same I, way I with, remember a comment I made on a past episode where I said, don't trust yourself. And uh, that, that's exactly it. Not, not don't trust yourself because that's, you know, that, that would emotionally just confuse you, but, but just rely on technology wherever you can. Um, yeah, rely on lists, don't trust your memory to motivate yourself. Yeah. You're not going to be able to motivate yourself um, and do the, th the stuff you want to do. You can only do one thing at a time. So, you know, get help on motivating yourself. Use an app. Um, use a timer. Instead of like keeping in your mind, oh, I need to make sure the eggs don't burn while I do this other thing, like, you know, wash the pans and then suddenly the eggs are burned because your mind switched. And, and that happens to me often enough <laughs> that I, you know, I, I, if I don't have a timer, I'm not going to be able to cook. Exactly. Exactly. And it's funny, you know, the way I ended up basically coming up with the system is I just sat down and I thought about my ideal. Like if I wasn't re in a reactionary state and I, you know, could just design my day, if I could just choose, if I had that amount of control in my life to where I could just choose, this is what I'm going to do. This is the order I'm going to do it. That's what I put on my activity list. And I put it in the order that I wanted to do it. So the first thing on it is meditation. The next thing is yoga. The next thing is nature. The next thing, you know, it's like, it's the order I want to come into my day and ideally live my life. So what would be cool is if I saw a, a pie graph that had every color on it or a bar graph that had every color in the order that they are on my list, because that would mean I'm living my little best life. You know, everybody talks about, oh, live your best life. Well, I literally sat down and thought, what would my best life look like? It would have 30 minutes of the yoga, 30 minutes of this, you know. So I put that down as an, uh, you know, a list, basically, that I can check into and try to Make sure something's checked off, you know, everything on the list. The first couple of days, I only checked off two or three things out of like 10. And I was like, whoa, I got to step this up. Like, it's what I'm, I, how am I not doing more of what I want to be doing? Like, what am I doing? So I ended up the next two days, I had like four colors. And I'm like, oh, yeah, see, I'm doing better. But that's not even half. And that's not good enough. So it really allowed me to be accountable to myself which was a very unique experience because I try to keep up with all of it inside my own mind, but to see visual feedback, to be able to look at a device and it tell me like, here's how you're spending your time. You happy with that? And I'm like, no, I'm not. So it allowed me to make the adjustments, you know, see, see the issue and make the adjustments. And I'm, I'm still working it out. I have, I think it's up to 13 activities now per day. Uh, but some of them have dropped off 
some of them dropped off because I actually completed it, which was, was awesome. Uh, but then some things have added on. And I think I'm going to be probably living some similar system the rest of my life, uh, especially with the implementation of the Apple Watch. And that's thanks to you guys, you and Dimitri, uh, because you guys were competing with the activity and how funny that app is the activity app. And it's all about the activities, right? Like that's, that's a, a really good source of ins inspiration for me because out here I don't have people to work out with. I don't have people, you know, pushing me or calling me to say, Hey, let's go to the gym. Let's do something, you know, healthy. Yeah. So, that's yeah. a brilliant way to go about it because I, I personally need external motivators and I'm very socially motivated. So if I schedule a meeting in the morning um, or an exercise, a group exercise in the morning, then I can make sure that, you know, I'm energized for the rest of the day. Um, And you and Dimitri actually sometimes work out together. Not only were y'all competing, working out separately, but sharing each other's workout, <laughs> you know, but now you guys are even working out together. And what's cool for me is like, there's days, you know, there's days where everybody even does work out, doesn't want to work out. Like there's just days that you just don't quite feel like it. But I tell you, you know, you can let one of those go here and there, but if you're trying to let two go, you know, and then you see that both of your friends, both days didn't, you're like, oh, man, I got to get out there and do something because I can't get too far behind these guys, you know. So it's good to have that kind of connection. I really like that that social aspect to it. And, I mean, the Breathe app, I, a total unexpected bonus to the Apple Watch. I had no idea it was a part of it. But the Breathe app, which reminds you to just take a breath, slow down, take a breath. Uh, what's interesting about it, you know, I set a 30-minute goal for my meditation every day. Well, uh, the Breathe app limits your sessions to five minutes, and it limits the number of times it can alert you to six times a day. So six times a day, five minutes a day, guess what that is? 30 minutes. So now every time my Breathe app goes off, I either do the five minutes, or if I skip it, the next time I, it comes up, I do 10. But it allows me to stay on path. And if I have an extra five, I'll go ahead and do the five then, because I know huh. I'm not going to have the five later. You're but right. I, I've never actually used the Breathe app. Oh, we'll, we'll need to touch base on uh, meditation on a later um, question. Yeah, heck yeah. It's been really helpful to me. And, and that's another just leaning into the technology, you know. At first, I was like, oh, EMFs, my wrist, I don't know, circulation. But it's been going on for long enough. Nobody's reporting a tumor. So I'm embracing it, and I love it, and I have you guys to thank for it. So thank you for pushing me the extra mile, because together with the activity tracker, I even have activity tracker on the watch. So it's, it's not missing a beat, and I'm really happy. Anytime, man. Well, no, think of a time you were so engrossed that you lost track of time. Uh, just what were you doing at that time? I... I the, immediately think of making music making music was the first thing that i ever experienced where i literally lost time like i felt like i had, had spent you know i've been in here 30 minutes three hours like what in the world like never before had my estimation of time spent been so grossly inaccurate it was just really off and uh that really spoke to me that kind of is one of the things that you know, made me think about doing it for a living. I was like, oh man, this, this really fulfills me. You know, maybe that's what fulfillment feels like. You're totally engrossed in this one thing. You're not anywhere else. So yeah. Oh, I feel like you were thrown into this mental state of flow. Um, 
did, did you ever use that feeling um, to benefit your performance outside of music? Oh, man. Oh, that's, that's a hard one. It, it, one. Another reason I chose music as a full-time thing for a long time is because I was trying other things, you know, through high school and college, I was working jobs, you know, to have extra income to do something, you know, social of some sort besides just existing through, through that time period. I wanted to actually go out and do some things. So I was always working a job, sometimes two jobs. I was always, you know, working as hard as I could at the few jobs that I could get at the age that I was. Uh, but I, I always was thinking about music. During all of the other jobs, there was always a, a beat in my head and it wasn't from the radio. It was one I had never heard before. You know, there was always a melody going on up there and it was also something unique. It's not anything I'd ever heard. And I was just like, man, I can't fully concentrate on anything. Uh, but then I realized, oh, when I make music, I'm not thinking about my grocery list. When, when I'm making music, I'm not worried about what I did at work today or what I got to do tomorrow or when I got to get up. Like, there's no other thoughts going on when I'm making music. But when I'm doing other things, music thoughts are go going on. So maybe yeah. I need to choose that as my thing to focus on because it's the only thing I can apparently give 100% on. So that really pushed me to pursue it. And it was not the easiest uh, pursuit. So I had to have a lot of <laughs> motivation there and that in that regard as well, because my parents were just like, oh my God, you're supposed to go into corporate litigation and you're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna pivot oh, and go, go music. So uh, yeah, yeah, I did. And needless to say, I uh, convinced them that that was the path I needed to go, uh, which kind of proves I would have been good at corporate litigation. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm good at uh, arguing my point, you know, uh, clearly. So. so you were you were working odd jobs um, while taking a course in corporate litigation. Uh, I was going to college and working odd jobs. I was getting into my core curriculum, um, and it was a point where I was actually, um, you know, how the first two years of college are just general. Yeah, they're not yeah. really specified in anything. So I was getting into the core curriculum where you start having take classes specific to your major you choose the major you start going into it and as I was starting you know to get into those that phase of you know course specific or should I say career specific classes um, I got to actually check out where I was headed I kind of had a interesting uh, situation lined up I don't know how to really fully explain it. My stepdad was a judge at the time. He was stepping down from being a judge. His best friend was an attorney and wanted to be judge. And so my stepdad was going to support his run for office and kind of, you know, ins inspired him and pushed him to do it. And uh, in return for that guy getting to be a judge, he a had to put somebody in charge of his law firm. So he was going to bring his son into the fold. His son was two years older than me and a friend of mine. So he was going to, you know, so to speak, return the favor and bring me into, you know, the, the law firm whenever I got out of law school. So it was kind of all lined up, you know, my future was just lined up, scheduled out, you know, into, into a decade. And, uh, I got to spend that some time. That almost sounds like how you like to live. You like things planned and scheduled out, but I it do. wasn't so you just pursued a career in music. I how? do. I, 
I really do. I like order to things in a plan and uh, it makes me comfortable to have a plan. I'm very uncomfortable without a plan. I mentioned my stepdad, uh, which means, you know, I have divorced parents. And so living between two parents and having sometimes conflicting information given to you from two quote equally trustworthy sources oh, no. requires you to do some real critical thinking and examining and, uh, it also makes you, uh, I think that's one of the reasons I'm so organized is because I was, I had two homes that I was having to go between and I had my stuff and it had to go with me and I had to make sure if I wanted it this weekend, I had to pack it. And, uh, you know, like, I think that has a lot to do with me uh, being so organized that and I, I get it through the genetics of my father he's very does it angry. also come from like you have i have this sense that you have a lot of essentially organized chaos because you're you're incredibly organized in yourself but that gives you the flexibility to do something as esoteric and disorganized as pursuing a career in the music industry um or investing for christ's sake <laughs> there's there's nothing sure about that you were you were going from a career where everything was plotted out for you and you were sure of what you were going to do and then suddenly you jump into two industries with incredible amounts of volatility so it's as if you encapsulated your ability to organize and yet you throw yourself into chaotic situations on purpose <laughs> I embrace it. I, I, I do that because uh, when I was 17, I got carjacked and kidnapped. Uh, I was going to uh, the mall, you know, on a Sunday. It was three o'clock in the afternoon. And when I pulled into the parking spot, my other, my passenger door opened. And I thought, you know, it was the alarm malfunctioning because I just got this alarm put on. It was this fancy alarm. It would talk and tell you to step away from the car and you could crank it and open doors and all that kind of crazy stuff. So I thought, you know, oh, something misfired and it just opened the door when I pulled in. Like, that's not supposed to happen. Well, then this guy sit, sits in the seat. It, it obviously didn't open by itself now and proceeds to, you know, just sit down and uh, as he's sitting, I said, hey, man, what's going on? Because I was kind of used to some people knowing me that I didn't know. You know, I meet a lot of people. I talk to a lot of people. And there's a lot of times people are like, oh, hey. And I'm like, oh, I kind of remember your face, but I, I'm not sure who it is. But I'm just like, hey, how's it going? Either way, I'm glad to see them. I'm glad to see everybody. I love people, um, <laughs> you know, in general. So I'm just like, how's it going? What's up? And he, you know, looked around and then just pulled the gun out of his waist and put it to my head and told me to drive. I was like, Oh, okay. Well, where do you want me to go? And, uh, yeah, he told me to go away from the mall. I had to drive him. I drove him to some apartments and, uh, he told me to turn around and face the car out at a dumpster. Get this. It's a, <laughs> a little cul-de-sac street. It's a straight street that leads to a dumpster at the end. And off the street, there's three different little streets that break off to this apartment complex. And it's just three rows of apartments. He tells me to drive down that street and turn it around and face it out in front of the dumpster. And then he gets out of the car, puts the gun in his waist first, put, you know, while he's in the car, gets out of the car, pulls his shirt up where these guys can see it. There were guys about 50 feet from us, about three guys, about 50 feet from us. And, uh, 
they of course all turn around looked what's going on and then he gets out of the car pulls his shirt up so they can see the gun throws gang signs with the other hand and all three of them like in unison like turn their backs on us so it's like oh i don't know what was just communicated but that's that's probably not not good for me and so when he got to the door he said get out and i got out then he gets in and tells me you know come come closer because so i'm just standing next to the car and i was like what do you need he said i want to talk to you i said well we're talking now so he's like come closer i'm like well, i don't need to come closer and i think what he was wanting is for me to lean in the window uh because the car was really low and it had a really low window that comes really high up on your shoulder uh it was at the time not bragging just trying to paint the picture uh it was a corvette I, <laughs> yes i was 17 it was a corvette my dad was a corvette dealer so it was just you know it was handy it's like if your dad deals in vacuums you have the newest vacuum uh so those cars sit really low and the door comes up really high on the shoulder so i think he was wanting me to kind of lean in to the you know closer to the window so he could shoot you know get an angle to shoot me and then take off and i think those three guys were there probably to dump my body in the dumpster i'm thinking that was probably the initial plan because uh i feel like i botched it by not cooperating and he kind of panicked um because he told me to to get in the car he's gonna shoot me right then so I was like, well, it's better than getting shot now. And that's what I think is going to happen <laughs> if I lean in. So I'm going to go with getting in the car. Maybe I can do a tuck and roll while we're going down the freeway or something. I'd rather be scraped up than dead. So uh, I hopped in the car with him and he proceeded to drive around. We got outside of town a little bit. He asked if I knew where I was and said, yeah, you know, we're next to this, that, and the other. And so he sped back up and I was like, oh, so he's wanting me not to know where we are. So next time he asks, I'm going to say no, no matter what it is, I, I have no idea. So he ended up in some more woods, pulled around to a little mobile phone tower that was a gravel road leading out to a fenced off mobile phone tower. And uh, my door was to the path, you know, his door was roadside. And he said, head it down the path, don't run, don't bob and weave, and don't look back. And I was like, wow, did you forget, draw a bullseye on my back? <laughs> like, I mean, is there any other way I can help you shoot me in the woods from a distance? So I kind of gathered the plan. And when he told me to do that, I kind of bought some time by asking him for my CD. And I was like, hey, can I at least have my CD, man? I just bought this CD. And while I'm asking him about it, I'm rolling up my window because I knew he wouldn't shoot out the window. He'd at least take the time to roll down the window to shoot me. And that would buy me a little time to get a little distance from the car and maybe have an angle where I could make a break for it. Plus, I knew I had safety glass in the front windshield because I'd been around enough junkyards with my dad to see the windshields after something bad happens. And it turns into a net. It shatters, but it turns into a net. You can't shoot through it. And even if you did, it'd kill all the velocity and change the trajectory. So, uh, yeah, and I had an audible cue. My, my windows squeaked three, three times very faintly on the way up on the passenger side. So when I got out of the car, I shut the door behind me. I started walking down the path. I started hearing the squeaking. I got to the edge of the path, flipped a branch over my head so I could peek back without him seeing me peek back. And when I did, he was getting propped up on the console, like raising the gun to shoot. So I diagonally bolted left into the woods, putting the angle of, you know, shooting like would have to be through the windshield. And uh, 
they cut off his angle and he was like, oh, because I know he didn't want to shoot up his front windshield. It looks very conspicuous to drive down the street in a Corvette with rims and a shot out front windshield. <laughs> and keep in mind, I had no tag on it. I had a dealer's tag on it because it was my, you know, it wasn't even the U.S. dealer's. It was like the drive out tag, like the plastic tag that had the dealership on it. Like <laughs> I was getting pulled over all the time. Anyway, so uh, yeah, I, I kind of had faith in that. And he chased me through the woods for a little while, but it was luckily just after autumn and there was a bunch of leaves on the ground. So I could pause occasionally and listen to his footsteps as he was running and kind of get an idea of his distance and where he was in relation to me and then kind of make a break for it. So ended up crossing a creek jumped a fence, went down some railroad tracks, where I actually saw him again. He had given up uh, the pursuit on foot, went back to the car, and then he was crossing the railroad tracks in the car, where it went across the street uh, further up, and he saw me on the railroad tracks, so he put it in reverse in the street, just stopped, put it in reverse, and this could only happen in Mississippi. Any place else would be too busy. <laughs> and he backs up on the railroad tracks and he puts the gun out the window again. He was going to shoot me from the middle of the street on the railroad tracks, straight down the railroad tracks. And uh, so I bolted diagonal again off the railroad tracks and it put me coming up between where the interstate was and where an off-ramp was. So I came up between the two and shot down the off-ramp. I knew there was a convenience store right there because I knew the area. My girlfriend lived literally a mile away. And uh, so I knew I could make a break for that gas station. Based on the traffic light situation, I thought I could beat him to the convenience store. And I knew he wouldn't come in the convenience store to shoot me. And he literally slid the car into the parking lot as I was going through the door of the convenience store. And he gave me that look like, oh, Oh, you're so close. I just, oh, and I was like, what? I just, I was like, what? You shoot me right here? He's like, I'm, right, I'm right here. You need to go. You just need to go. This is over. You lost. Good way you're behind. You lost. So, yeah, he drove on and uh, I borrowed the phone, called my dad to get a ride. Wow. Yep. And that inspired me to value my time a lot, a lot, a lot. And so that's why I wanted to make sure when I started going into corporate litigation, hey, I'm fixing to set up the next 10 years of my life on this schedule. Like, I'm fixing to commit to this. Do I really want this? And if I don't, I don't want to waste any time or anyone's money doing courses that won't apply to my life. So that's when I wanted to experience it. I got time in the office. I saw that I would be miserable in corporate litigation for at least a good 10 years. I'd be just doing research, research, more research, and anything cool that I found or came across, I'd give to someone else to present. You know, like, no, no, that doesn't sound fun to me. It guarantees financial security. And with that financial security, I will have fun, but that's gonna be a decade down the road, minimum. And I could, I could live nine years, 364 days, get taken out by some random yahoo for nothing, just even in an accident somewhere, somebody just creams me at an intersection. Well, then I've spent the last almost decade of my life miserable. And, and then I get to look back on that. Oh, I, I was great. I'm glad I spent the last decade miserable. So I wasn't willing to roll those dice. It was too big of a gamble. I value my time too much to put 10 years on the line and say, hey, let's hope it works out. Let's hope this pays off. Yeah. So instead, I started looking at what fulfills me on a daily basis. What can I do one day? And if I have one day, I'll be glad I spent it that way. What if tomorrow is all I got? I don't want to regret how I spend it. So that's what I started doing. You, you've touched on that story before, but I've never heard the full detailed story. 
and oh, yeah. how you're you're telling it you're just it's as if you revel in apparent chaos because you you you're able to think strategically um while all these things are going on it's as if you were you were asked to play speed chess and win with a gun pointed to your head <laughs> man yeah it's it you know it's it's situations i wouldn't choose um but i i am definitely thankful that i do go into a sort of mode when things like that happen um Unfortunately, I've experienced other gun-related incidents. I was home invaded as well by a crackhead with a rifle. Um, he came in the house. He shot two people in that scenario, one of which I was standing right beside. That was not good at all. But that, that person um, went into the other mode. Uh, when you are faced with life and death moments, uh, really critical junctures, I find that there's two types of reactions. There's uh one mode where you freeze you just freeze it's like a paralyzing freeze and it's just like a deer in headlights i that's why they just lock up they don't know what to do and um unfortunately um it was a girl that was shot it was the girl i was dating at the time and um when right before she was shot i had swung open a door to put between us and the shooter and i reached my hand out for her and yelled her name multiple times and she she was just frozen she was just looking straight at him and then she said you know don't shoot i don't have anything and um from my experience with the the carjacking i knew just already you don't address someone with a gun about shooting you unless you think it's going to happen right that moment like you talk about the weather, you try to talk about anything else, like humanize yourself as much as possible, humor them as much as possible. You're just trying to, I don't know, create some sort of connection that will keep them from being able to take your life. And when you start pleading for it, you think it's fixing to be taken, like right that moment. I'm, I'm very fortunate that it never got to that point, you know, in the carjacking it got it, at one point he showed me the gun was loaded and says you know i'll kill you i'll kill you don't you think i'll kill you and i said absolutely i believe you'll kill me i would never question that but i i never brought it up you know and i didn't want to bring it up and even my last words to the guy were like hey can i get that cd i just bought that cd i really like that cd that's really good music i know you've noticed you've been enjoying it you've been tapping your finger while you're driving but I would like the CD if you don't mind, because you're taking uh, thousands and thousands of dollars worth of stuff. Can I have my $20 CD? Because that's, that's incredible. Did he actually give you the CD? No, he told me. He was like, get the F out. I'm like, no, hell no. <laughs> oh, okay, thanks. So, yeah, but the idiot did also took my jewelry and my cell phone and then proceeded to call his house, his girlfriend's house, and the house he was dropping the car off at. So thank you for every bit of pertinent information we needed. And uh, that's what ultimately led to his arrest. So that's the only reason I know that he was dropped off by some other guys that were sharing carjacking stories. He was also 17. Keep in mind, this guy was 17. I was 17. We were we. Born and raised in the same city. Like, this is, this is a very interesting scenario to get in. And, uh, yeah, I just felt really bad for, you know, how he had ended up in the whole scenario. He didn't have a story to tell. 
And so they were like, oh, well, they get to the mall like they're going to the mall and everybody gets out and then everybody but him gets back in. He's like, what are y'all doing? And the guy in the passenger seat stuck out the car and put a gun in his waist and said, see you at the house. And they just bailed. What? Left him at the mall with a gun in his waist and a story that needed to be told. <laughs> so he created it and uh, it was his first offense. It was the first thing he'd ever done, you know? And that guy's still in jail. Yes. Still. Damn, it's, it's the people that you're with. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Ruined his whole life. I mean, he's gone. You know, the saddest part is uh, after he got arrested, uh, the arresting officer was a friend of mine, and he actually was able to go into the guy's cell and talk to him. And he said, hey, do you have any regrets now that it's all over? You know, do you see the error of your ways? Like, you do things differently next time? Like, how are you feeling? And the guy's like, yeah, I made a big mistake. And he's like, oh, yeah? He's like, it seems like to me you made – lot of big mistakes and he's like no i just made one he's like really what what's the one what do you think is the one mistake he's like oh i didn't kill the guy so after that i was like wow i kind of don't feel as bad for him but he even told the guy after that he said oh trust me i won't make that mistake again yeah it's 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 just the social you know it's it was the culture of those 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 friends um Oh, yeah, the guy's house he dropped the car off at, he was out on his fifth felony for the year. Yeah. You, you were part of a game. It was, yeah. you, you, you were just an object. <laughs> yeah, it was not, not good. Very not good. But, I mean, because of that experience, I knew when she addressed the gunman that, you know, he had a line of a sight on her, and that's what led me to approach the gun. And as I you know, turned to it, it was going on, he was he's shot. And that's how she ended up getting shot. By the time I looked back at her, I thought he missed, you know, cause she was still sitting up. And then I turned to slap the gun down and my uh, roommate at the time was slapping it down. And the next time I looked at her, she was already, you know, bleeding, she got shot in the chin and it ricocheted down and nicked her esophagus and kind of lodged in her vertebrae. So she thought she was shot in the neck and she said, oh, I'm shot in the neck, I'm gonna die. And I was like, no, you aren't. Too many people love you. You got to hang in there. And I yanked her off the bed, wrapped a sheet around her and put pressure on it, pulled her into that closet that I opened with the doors, you know, and then proceeded to call 911, get kind of paramedics to tell me anything I could do. I was already kind of doing everything they were telling me to do. And then I kind of, uh, I got transferred to whatever the team is that busted in the house. They wanted to know what side of the house. They asked me stupid questions like, what, are you on the north side of the house i'm like i'm sorry i don't know compass direction in my house like i'm on the front of the house you know i'm the second window to the left of the front porch uh and they came to the window and actually yanked us out and then gassed the house um to try to get the guy but in that same instant when she froze, I went into super mode. Like I went into this crazy, it's like when they go slow motion in movies, like everything slows down for me in those situations. And I can, I can, it's like I'm thinking normal speed and everything else is going slow. So it's, I, I felt like if I had six arms, I could use all of them in a separate fashion in that time. You know, I can strategize really easily because I feel like I'm, I'm literally watching slow motion, so. I mean, all of the stuff that I was just talking about between 
seeing her say that, looking at him, looking back at her, looking back at the gun getting knocked down, looking back at her, all of that happens within like that. <laughs> I mean, it was just that amount of time. But I'm having all of those thoughts. I'm even considering the fact I've only dialed nine and one and not the other one and hit send yet while it's all going down. <laughs> you know, I'm still considering all these angles and thinking about my little dog out there and what he's going to do. And I hope he doesn't get hurt. Yeah. Because, uh, he was four pounds of fury, so I knew he'd approach the guy and tell him where to go. I just didn't want the guy to shut him up permanently. I was just like, oh, please don't shoot my dog. So he made it out fine, though. Yeah. I was fine. She was fine. I was fine. Everybody ended up ultimately fine. So oh. blessed. Good. So you had these crazy experiences, and then you pursued the entertainment industry. <laughs> that was actually uh, – the the first incident is what made me make sure I was living a life I would be happy living uh, if I lived a day or if I lived a hundred years. The second incident actually was when I was uh, I had already gone to school for music and I was actually teaching at the college that I had gone to, and it made me stop teaching and go back out and start doing the the music yeah, uh, yeah. instead of just teaching it. It got me to break out. I was like, you know, I I I would love to come back. I was 25 at the time because I remember having the thought, you know, when, when I heard the, the proverbial whistle blow, I thought it was game, but it turns out it was just first quarter. So <laughs> I'm still in there and I still got a lot of life to live. So I'm going to get out on the field and, and live it. I was starting to have students winning awards that I knew I could do better. You know, it's like, I know I could do better. That guy, come on. I taught him not even all I know. <laughs> like, so I got to get back out there. And that's what transitioned me from Florida to Los Angeles. That's what made me, you know, take the next leap to pursue it full time and just do music, not any form of music, like teaching or before I had done stuff with an AV company where I was setting up sound systems and monitors and microphones and like it's music related, but I, at that point in time, I committed myself, I'm going to make music for a living. That's what I love doing, not music around music. It's cool, whatever, but I love making it, and I want to make it. And ultimately, that decision taught me that truly what I'm enjoying is being creative. I like creating, and I'm a creative person. I always thought up until literally last year, that I was an intelligent person with a creative side, you know, oh, I'm a brain with a creative, uh, you know, flair. Uh, but I was informed by the most intelligent person I have ever met on this earth, which I have known since uh, seventh grade. We've known each other since seventh grade. <laughs> and he is perfect ACT, SAT scores. Uh, he was going to college at the age of like 16 and uh yeah he, he was he's the kind of guy that would taking next year's math and then would test out of the next year's math after that year at the end of that year so the next year he could take two years later math yeah. ran out of math in like sophomore year just out of math took them all uh that guy who's known me all this time uh informed me like in a no duh type of way, like, dude, you're a creative. You have an, an intelligent component that helps back up that creativity <laughs> and allows you to function, but you're a creative. You uh, like, you, you, you lead with emotions. You are a very passionate person. Like your intelligence is just an element. You're not a brain with these other, you know, 
accessories, so to speak. You're, you're absolutely the other way around. And I was like, wow. Like, really? I never thought of that. Mind blown. Yeah, it blew me about myself. It was just like, and, I, and I, I did a lot of thinking on that. And I think the reason that that was is because I was raised in Mississippi. No offense, Mississippi, but in Mississippi, uh, creative arts aren't taken seriously for the most part. They aren't encouraged, you know, it's like, oh, you can paint good. Well, good for you. Uh, why don't you pick up that ax over there and get to making some firewood so we have some, you know, something worth a crap at the end of the day. Um, yeah. And I think because of that, I just, you know, saw creativity and creative outlets as like a bonus if, you know, maybe hobby if you're bored or something, you may have free time, it's cool. So that one comment changed the course of your life. Well, it just made me realize that, I mean, because this was literally, this was last year. Oh. Like, keep in mind. Yeah, this was last year. Okay. Last year, after I had derailed my whole life and gone this creative route. Like, this guy was like, yeah, duh, you're like a total creative. I'm like, what? <laughs> it, it blew my mind because even though I was making music, I didn't feel like, you know, I'd see some people that I would just like, make, it made me want to quit. Like, I'm never going to be that good. I'd see them and be like, I'm never going to be that good. I don't have that level talent. Like, I, I like music. I like to make music. But I just feel like it's not what I'm naturally, like, it's not, like, I'm not, like, super talented to equip. Like, some people in my industry have what they call perfect pitch. And that means they can literally hear a tone and say, A flat, or, you know, C sharp whatever like they can call off tones they can al align harmonies four or five six la layers deep just by ear and you know i'm using a spectral analyzer i'm <laughs> i'm making technology <laughs> on a waveform generator and and you know it's interesting i even found out later that i have one ear canal that's differently shaped than the other one it's smaller and oh. i was like wow well that's the reason when i hear things in stereo i'm i'm hearing not a full stereo, you know, image like I should. I'm like handicapped. Like in the music industry, I'm I'm actually handicapped. So this is like being a painter when you're colorblind. Like what? How? What? Well, I'm just gonna work past it. You know, I'm just gonna rely on, like you said, don't just rely on yourself. I'm gonna rely on technology. I'm gonna rely on producers that I value their work and love their work get yeah. their critiques and get their input on these using, things. Uh, using your mentors as a mirror. Exactly. And so I committed to it. And what's, what's really interesting, and, and it, it's funny, here, here's kind of a full circle moment. Uh, the friend that I mentioned earlier, one of the, the smartest guy I've ever met, uh, he ended up um, working for Qualcomm for a number of years. And then he left Qualcomm to pursue his own startup and he created a pair of headphones that actually analyzes your hearing and then it corrects for your hearing. So he was able to take autoacoustic emissions testing inside your head through the use of the headphones. Like you don't even have to say anything in response. Normally hearing tests, they tell you, tell me when you hear something, which makes all hearing tests flawed because the first time you think you hear something, you think about it. Am I hearing that? I think I hear something. But am I really hearing it? Oh, yes, I'm hearing it. 
And then you say, yes, I'm hearing it. Well, now you've delayed where you actually heard it. You actually heard it sooner. So your answer is off every time by some varying amount. And that amount of time you're off depends on how quick you trust yourself. Like, am I hearing it? No, I'm hearing it, right? So that amount of time fluctuates with every response. So every frequency you're reading is off. There's never been a fully accurate hearing test. Yeah, so well, this, let's put a link on the show notes. I remember you talking about this product. Could you mention it here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, they call them Neurophones. N-U-R-A is the, the brand name, Neura. Yeah. And it's, it's because they're not headphones. It's, it's like prescription headphones. Yeah, I've started seeing ads of the Neurophones over in Facebook. So it seems yeah. they're doing a good marketing push. Oh, they're doing great. Hey, like I said, one of the smartest guys I've ever met in my life is their CEO. So uh, yeah, I have nothing but faith in that company. And what's really interesting about that is the first time I heard that pair of headphones, I said, oh my God, Dragon, you have taken my handicap out of the equation for me. The one thing I've had holding me back and my ultimate, you know, like passion has been this handicap and you just literally eliminated it. He didn't even know it. I don't, I didn't talk about it with people in the industry. I'm not like, Hey man, you know, uh, I've been thinking about how I can't hear as well as other people. Like, why would this ever come up? Like, I'm never going to mention it. It's never coming up. I'm not proud of it. It's not something to boast about, you know? So it just never got mentioned. And I remember being amused by this in the past, but could you tell me Dragon's full name? Oh, it's Dragon Petrovic. And Dragon is spelled D-R-A-G-A-N. And he is Serbian. Uh, and it's apparently as common as like a John or Paul here in America. He said Dragon is very common over there. So it's nothing special. I was like, well, you're very special over here, my friend. And, uh, oh, I love that there's a hunter slave whose best friend is a dragon. <laughs> yes people people used to refer to us and this, this is back in the day they'd call us dragon hunter uh at school because we were always together and this is before people were taking the first part of one name and the last part of another <laughs> you know like spidey and all these other things thank god uh but yeah we were known as dragon hunter collectively and uh kept up with the guy ever since he's an amazing guy and he's got an amazing amazing product and uh, little did he know, he's, he fixed one of my biggest issues I've ever had in my life. Um, yeah. And what's really interesting is also through talking to him about hearing and understanding how people hear, I realized that no one has the exact same size, shape, depth of canal from ear to ear. No one. So what I thought was even a handicap this whole time hasn't even really been a handicap. So, uh, yeah, what's that? Your own special form of difference. Exactly. So really, really uh, full circle moment there. I thought that was very interesting. So like, when you were um, a DJ, like a, what specific habits did you take away from, from that um, that um, you still use even in investing? Because I, don't, I, I know you don't do a lot of um, DJ work right now. And you've devoted a lot of your time more on to structuring investments and operations. Um, and um, I'm, I'm going to touch on something very specific because it, it, um, it surprised me when you understood what I meant. But we were watching, we were watching a DJ work um, together um, on a video uh, when we were visiting Massachusetts. And I just mentioned that that DJ has her mise en place, you know, right in place. And 
you were like, oh yeah, Mise en Place. And I was like, whoa, okay, you understood that term. <laughs> Big fan. Now, can you tell me more about that? Yeah, I, um, I, I'm a big fan of that. I, I learned that term through cooking. Uh, I like to cook, uh, especially here in Arkansas. You kind of have to cook. There's not too many good uh, healthy options. The good tasting ones aren't healthy. Uh, so if you want to eat delicious and healthy, you kind of got to do it yourself. So I've gotten a lot more into cooking in the past few years, and that is a crucial component. Uh, for those listeners out there, mise en place uh, means just, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's French for things in place, right? It's just like yeah. you have your stuff in order. So before you cook, a lot of times you want to get out the bowl that you're going to use for this, the flour that you're going to put in there, the eggs that you sometimes dose out, you know, a tablespoon of this, a cup of that. You get like everything you're going to need so that you're not scrambling when timing is critical and the heat is on literally and figuratively. Uh, and, and I'm a big fan of applying that principle in life. I like to have things organized. Uh, you mentioned chaos, and that's why I say it's not by choice because chaos to me, even just messiness, you know, is a form of chaos and it drives me crazy. It makes me super overwhelmed really quickly. Um, so when I have things in order, it, it allows me to focus on, you know, the things that I want to focus on rather than than being bothered by my tendency to be anal-retentive because like I said, I get that honestly through my father. He is super detail oriented and I, I, it's, it's to a, to a fault actually. Um, but when I was doing all that critical thinking I was talking about when I was growing up, I was ex observing how that benefited him and how that uh, affected him negatively. And I, I saw where, excess created the detriment you know and I, that principle resurfaced multiple multiple times in life you know any too much of anything as they say is is not good and uh i found balance to be a really key component in every facet of life you know having having balance work hard play hard as they say it's super crucial that's why i have things on my activity tracker like nature <laughs> you know i even have relax on my activity tracker and you know what's funny about that it's the only activity i dread punching into relax All the other activities i love punching into i love hitting start because it's like i'm clocking into my best life because i've chosen these things as my best life like this is it so whenever i'm punching in i'm just like i'm living my best life right now on the clock and it's, it's just an awesome feeling, you know, because it's like, I'm doing it, I'm achieving it. And whenever it's time to actually relax, which is after I've gone about 12 to 14 hours in a day, usually it's the last two hours of the day, I finally. Oh, I see. Out. You just procrastinate relaxing to the yeah. very end of the day. Yeah. yeah. And even when I have a little time unexpectedly, like something ends early or something, blah, 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 and I sit down, if I look at that activity tracker and I, I, don't see something that immediately jumps out that I could be doing and I scroll down to relax, I give it a second thought. I'm like, oh, mate, let me check some other lists and make sure, sure, there's nothing else I could be doing with this energy right now because that's another thing that I've started to realize and, you know, you mentioned I'm 40 earlier. Oh, I, I'd like to think of it as this is the second anniversary of my 39th birthday. I'm perpetually 39. And I'll just be celebrating anniversaries from now on. Never I'm reaching sorry. 40. I shouldn't have brought that up. We, we can no. mute that out of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> but 
being that, like, now that I'm 40, I mean, I'm seeing that just naturally, no matter how much sleep I get or no matter what kind of food I eat, my energy level is less than it was 10 years ago. And now that I look on it and think about it, that was less than it was 10 years before that. And so I'm seeing a trend here. And I, I love trends because it helps me pro project into the future, which helps me with scheduling. So <laughs> I trend watch a lot. And uh, the trend uh, on the physical side of things is that I have less and less energy. And so I'm, I'm really trying to choose how to spend the energy I do have naturally, wisely, and then trying to supplement that energy as little as possible with like, you know, stimulants of some sort, like caffeine. I've started to understand why people, I gotta have my coffee in the morning. Like, I kind of get that now. Like, it's making more sense. Um, and I've started doing the dew again. <laughs> Mountain Dew is back. Oh, yeah, night. yeah. <laughs> Which was only there during college late night study sessions. But now it's resurfacing and I buy the little cans. So at least I'm not being too bad when I have some, some Mountain Dew. But sometimes I need a little punch, you know. I don't want to get into the Red Bull. I feel like that tastes like Robitussin. No offense, Red Bull. Um, but yeah, I just, I just need a little caffeine boost here and there. But like I said, I'm trying to, to limit my, my supplementing of that energy and trying to spend it all in good, productive places. Mm, that just makes, yeah, I love Mountain Dew. That just makes me think of this song by, I think, John Carlton, uh, Code Bunky. Have you ever heard it? I haven't. Oh, God. Code Red came out when I was in college. <laughs> I'll just I'll just put it onto the show notes as well because um, I won't do it justice singing it. <laughs> um, but yeah, just one more thing about the music industry, and then we can move on. But when you were a DJ, you mentioned to, before that you created this music album for a temple, and you brought that to Burning Man. Uh, I thought that story was incredibly powerful, so I w wondered if you could share that. Oh, absolutely. Um... And, and just now recalling that the, the last question was actually, what did I take from music <laughs> into the investment world? And I got totally off topic and kind of went all askew there. Uh, I think if I could say one thing, though, that I took from DJing into investment, uh, it would be the networking aspect. Um, that's just crucial. We've done a previous episode on networking because, I mean, you know how important it is, Dimitri, as well. We all agree networking is like a huge component of life just in general uh no matter what you do um and that comes down and back to what you were saying about never just rely on yourself you know takes a village rely on your people your friends your peers your contemporaries get educated opinions and that networking is carried over uh, definitely from the music side of things um but as far as uh the transition a little about the transition for listeners because I've been talking about investment stuff so far, and now all of a sudden it's like, hey, uh, I did a lot of music too, by the way. Uh, the way I went from music to investment is I ended up, uh, I, I met who I thought was the one, uh, listeners, I'm doing quotes, air quotes. I thought it was the one, and I was uh, committing to her and wanting to settle down and have a family with her. And I wanted to raise a child outside of Los Angeles uh, because I feel like it's just so much external influence, some good, some bad, but to manage and filter uh, that influence would be such a, a monumental task. I felt like the first few formative fundamental years, I would like less outside influence on a child. 
so in order for me to be able to go outside and take them outside with me, uh, that's why I got this place here in Arkansas. It was exactly what you were talking about earlier, Brian, when you said, you know, they just go out and get lost. That, that was the whole point of getting land is so I could take the child outside, give them a nature lesson, learn all about science, the seasons, the weather, the cycles, and all of that stuff that ultimately governs our lives that most people take for granted. And that's why we have climate control issues, but that's <laughs> another topic altogether. Um, so when I thought I, I found the one and wanted to settle down, I took the money I had made uh, in music and some of it I had previously invested into some rental income units and I really liked the way that they, those performed. And so I, I initially started looking at more real estate. I wanted to invest in more real estate and I started getting more uh, rental income units and then I ended up with uh, a couple commercial properties. And I liked how commercial performed even better than residential. Um, and so that led me to more commercial investment. And that's where I met uh, Dimitri actually, was uh, looking to expand portfolio more in the commercial se segment. <laughs> yeah, that charming guy right there. Um, yeah, uh, so met him there and we really hit it off. He was working for a great guy at the time, uh, Michael Bash. He was actually an economic advisor to the White House during Carter's administration. And one of the first things he'll tell you is, uh, trust me, he didn't listen to me. <laughs> like that's his one comment. He's like, hey, before you say anything, he did not take my advice. <laughs> I was like, okay, okay, okay. So it's, it's no bad reflection for those people that are familiar with Charter's administration. It's not a bad reflection on him. He, he was an economic advisor, but he, he did not get his advice taken. Um, but the guy, he owned over a thousand apartments in New York. He used to work as an engineer for uh, Texas Instruments. He patented things for them, wasn't appreciated, especially monetarily, and uh, wanted to get into real estate. So he started just like me, while you're doing one career, you start investing on the side in real estate. Before you know it, it takes over your world if it's your thing. And that's kind of what happened with me. That's when we formed Oxford Investment Partners because we wanted to invest in more and more things and do that together and bring our networks together. And uh, that slowly evolved into what became Fosh Capital. And here we are today. And the answer to your current question is, um the album that i ended up making for the krishna community how did that come about and what did that mean to me that is one of the most rewarding fulfilling things i've ever done uh it, it's a, it's funny the only thing that revels it the only reason i can't say it's absolutely the most um teaching when i was teaching for the school i i found that to be extremely extremely rewarding um, but the experience with the Krishnas was a unique one. Uh, it started with one of the Vedic priests um, doing a social experiment, and he was doing kind of what I'm, I've been recently doing, implementing technology in his normal day-to-day -to, -day to enhance his experience. And he was meeting people online, you know, with Facebook and uh, I think it was just after MySpace when Facebook was really blowing up and everybody was on Facebook every day. He was making friends on Facebook, but he committed to meeting one of those people on Facebook in person every day. 
So every day he would meet new people and schedule one of them for a lunch the next week. So that for, I think he went months of doing this. He was meeting a new person in face-to-face, -face, you know, mode, not, not, not figurative FaceTime as it became to be known at the time. We were able to say, oh, you're spending FaceTime with these people? <laughs> it was before it was part of the app. He was literally spending FaceTime with these people. And one of the people he met uh, through that was one of my closest friends from Florida that had moved out to LA around the same time that I had. He was in design and he was invited by this, uh, this yogi to basically do yoga with him in his personal sacred space. And it was like a life-changing experience for him. And he was telling the guy afterwards, you know, like, this is amazing. This is the best thing anyone's ever done for me. Like, I can't imagine a greater gift. And he said, well, I'll, I'll give it to you now. And he said, what? <laughs> He's like, I'm going to extend this invitation to whoever in the world you think could benefit from it the most, that you would take the most joy out of sharing this with. And I ended up being that guy. So the very next week, I'm going into a space I've never been to with a guy I've never met. And we still keep in touch to this, to this day. He was amazing. His name was Atma. And he had a little sacred space right behind the Bhagavad Book Trust, uh, which is where the, Krishna, the International Krishna Conscious Center prints all of its handout materials. And if you've ever seen Krishna's at an event, they're always handing out material. And it is all printed right there in Santa Monica. So we would gather into his personal space and he would teach us yoga while teaching us to teach yoga so he was teaching us to teach as he was teaching us and um it was so amazing of an experience you know every me my friend both left the class uh just you know on top of the world noticeably different to where people were like man what's gotten into you um the Atma's best friend was there as well. So all three of us left the class just like, oh, you know, top of the world glowing. And every conversation that was had about it, you know, it would always end with the person being like, oh, can I join? I want to go to this thing. This is amazing. And I was like, oh, well, it's a, you know, we all had the same experience. Uh, oh, well, it's kind of a personal space. It's, it's kind of like invitation and I can't really invite. It's not my place to invite. And it's small and there's not really room. I'll ask for you. And ultimately the next week when we all came in, we all shared our mutual experience and we were all like, okay, uh, I guess this is going to have to be like fight club where you can't talk about it. Like nobody talks about it. Yeah. And so when so you mentioned yoga a while ago, you weren't mentioning uh, the fitness version of yoga. You were mentioning this meditative practice, were you? Uh, well, it's both. And that's what's crazy. Uh, yoga, yoga actually means union. And it's the union of your body, mind and spirit. And it's, I feel like the awareness of myself that I gained through yoga, through physical and mental practice has allowed me to kind of keep, it's not a barometer, it's not a thermometer, but, <laughs> but it's a metric on myself. I don't know what you would call that meter, but it's, it's a me meter. And it's, it's kind of allowed me to kind of monitor when I'm starting to feel a certain way or getting kind of 
inklings of trends or information or seeing it's it allows me to take inventory of myself and uh that's been a, a priceless skill but uh ironically uh the guy that i mean i thought helped me so much like more than almost anybody else you know in my adult life uh ended up really valuing what i did for him and the krishna community because of the album that i ended up making and he was like you can't tell you what this means to me it's like i can't tell you what you've done means to me it was like this great mutual admiration uh type thing but they were doing mantras every day as part of their daily devotion there and they had to do these mantras a certain number of times and that's what you know people see these monks with the beads and these long beaded bracelets that there's a certain number of beads on the bracelet and they count through these beads and once they make it around again to the knot they they know they've said enough mantras um and they usually listen to a recording of that mantra mantras usually recorded in a group and it's usually with instrumentation that's referred to collectively as a kirtan band and it's very traditional indian instrumentation and to the untrained ear it's really hard to tell one recording from the next it all sounds like a group of people with a kirtan band you know various degrees of quality in the actual engineering level of the recording but eh, for the most part it's about the same and for people with modern musical tastes like atma he, he said you know i get through with my mantras and i've been listening technically to music for over two hours but as soon as i finish i i have the feeling and he's like and i hate to say it but he's like i kind of feel like i want now i get to listen to real music or now i get to lose like like music music you know like music just for the enjoyment of the thing and uh, i was like what kind of music do you listen to for enjoyment just strict enjoyment and he was like oh man i listen to thievery corporation i listened to um like he was listening he was li listed off like this just a laundry list of contemporary edm uh rock uh, but mostly electronica and i was just like i did not see that coming like i just really didn't expect that and he said oh i'm not alone this is the case for a, a, a number of our devotees especially the younger ones you know they're coming into this young and hip and that's you know their kind of music and i just wish that we could fuse the two i wish we could have the mantras but with this cool music and i was like i can totally do that for you like that's totally doable like <laughs> if you want that i can produce that for you like that's not a problem and i feel like i would enjoy that too because the reason i ended up in electronic music is i was a, i was a fan of bass and in mississippi to get bass you listen to rap but you know what i wasn't a fan of uh kill them shoot them drug them screw them over and over and over and that's enough like you know like can we talk about something positive and that's when i found hip-hop as opposed to rap i'm like oh well, now we're talking that's a little bit better but then when I found electronic music, some of it was just music. I'm like, man, look, there's all the bass, all this great music. I hadn't got to listen to somebody's message over the top, trying to sell me something or brag about something or look cool or, you know, I was like, this is amazing. So that's what led me to, to start getting into electronic music. And then I started like telling DJs like, hey, if you put that one track with this track, it'd 
it mixed really well because these items and the timing and the and the measure, you know, they complement each other. And they're like, dang, dude, that's like the hardest part of DJ. And if you can do that, you need to just start playing because beat matching isn't hard. It's not an art. It's a skill. What you're talking about is the art. You're already moved on to the art. You hadn't even started the skill. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, I need to start the skill then. So uh, that's what got me into DJing. And then I realized people are taking an impression of me away based on the, the words that I do include. Like if I have words on a song, I might as well be at a microphone saying these words or I advocate the following. And then that sample, you know, like, so it occurred to me, you know, at the end of a show, especially you have a small group of people that come up to you and we're like, Oh man, blah, blah. And they all want to talk to you and tell you their thoughts, you know, like their review of the thing. Oh, I like that track. Oh, that set was awesome. Or, Oh, it was cool how this happened. Or, Oh, thanks for, you know, doing that with my friends here in town and I, it's really special. They all have different things they all want to say, but the group of people that actually want to say something and actually engage you in communication after a gig, uh, it's a small group compared to the vast number that when the lights go on, head for the bathrooms, head for the bar to settle tabs and get on their phones and start, you know, calling cabs and now Uber and Lyft and stuff. Uh, the majority of those people take away an impression about me that have never talked to me, not said one word to me, and don't even care enough to to even say anything when they leave. Like, not even saying bye. You know, they don't even wave. They're <laughs> just gone. And so I was like, well, if if they, you know, if I'm if I'm making an impression on a large number of people with just the music, then I don't even get a, a chance to talk to. What do I want the music to say about me? What do I want to for them to take away that the reflection of, of me what am I about and the main thing that I was I felt was the most important thing in life was just uh, the the belief that uh, what we see is not all there is you know there's so much more to life than meets the eye I mean I'm not trying to preach to anyone but I do want people to consider the questions that so many people ask as a child that are told that can't be explained don't worry about it or they're indoctrinated with the belief of whatever that parent has been indoctrinated with and it's a long line of just inherited belief like think for yourself consider this this is your belief on how the world works how that world fits into a universe how that universe fits into a cosmos what that cosmos is made of and ultimately what you are made of so how you function I mean, how do you expect to live your life if you don't even understand the human suit, much less the rock you're on? <laughs> the like, really? Like, <laughs> I, I can't go on a trip and not understand cars or myself. Like, how do I expect to get anywhere? Like, I got to learn myself to get me to the vehicle, learn the vehicle to get me to the destination. So that was just crucial to me. And uh, that's kind of where I steered my production. And there wasn't a lot of records to choose from that spoke the words that I wanted to communicate. So I got tired of looking and I started making. And when I started making music, I was going by DJ Apostle because I, I even had it on my card, specializing in techno parables. And that's what I was doing, was basically telling an if-then story. Well, if, uh, then, uh, so, then, and one could consider, you know? Yeah. And that kind of made my sets go all over, genre-wise, you know? It was breaks and house and drum and bass and down tempo I was anywhere I needed to be to get the words I needed to get in the order I wanted to get them which made my mixing style 
very different and very, very unique, which ended up being a good thing. It scared yeah. me to even do it. Uh, but I just, I had a mission and that's the only way I could conceive achieving it. So I was going for it. And yeah, this theme of like creative controlled chaos seems to be everywhere in your life. Right. And hey, this, at this point, we're full circle with the very beginning of the conversation. That third point on the collar made me stand out, so to speak, and as that English laundry attention, that the difference, the uh-huh, uniqueness, uh-huh. that detail, that's what made me stand out. That's what ultimately made love. That guy's something else, you know? It's like, oh, okay, and it's a good thing. That's, that's great. Different is good. Because in Mississippi, again, very homogenous area, different, not always encouraged, just like the arts. <laughs> you know, it's like, different? I don't know. So, uh, yeah, it was good for me to have different encouraged. And once I kind of embraced that, it's like, oh, different's good. I moved to Florida and started pursuing it. And it's funny, when I started to move from Florida, I'll never forget, I was at one of my friend's house. He was a DJ. Uh, His girlfriend at the time, she was a DJ, very thoroughly involved in the whole music industry, knew a lot of crazy music people and performers and fire people and lighting and just every aspect of basically carnival you could imagine just like they they to me were just like a glimpse into all of the vibrant colors that the music scene had to offer they were surrounded in them you know it's just like this is an amazing place and when I was moving the last time that I saw them in person before I, I, I left uh the girl told me, her name is Kara, and uh, Kara told me, she's like, Hunter, I think you're the weirdest person I know. <laughs> Possibly the weirdest person I've ever met. And by that point in my life, you know, it's like, I was like, what? First of all, they knew weirder people than I had ever met. Like, they, they were the people that knew the most weirdest people, like, in number and degree like the <laughs> largest quantity of the most weird you could be like, <laughs> as far out as possible and they're telling me i'm it I'm, I'm the pinnacle weird and it's funny because i had a moment within myself there when i when i said thank you because my response was thank you and it made me realize holy crap boy i've come a long way from mississippi being afraid to be different, to being called the weirdest person they know and saying, oh, I appreciate that. And I genuinely did. I was like, thank God. Like, I wouldn't want to be considered what is, quote, normal nowadays. Like, status quo is not cool. So, yeah, it's, it's been something I've had to embrace every time. But, yeah, I'm, I'm embracing the weird. Unique is good. Different is good. So... Yeah, let's let's end this episode then on a high note. I'm sure Dimitri would uh, say, "How's this so good?" <laughs> on this on this episode, um, but I, I I need to ask you one last question, and uh, you've you've touched on this a bunch of times throughout uh, this episode, and I know you've been wanting to build a family, and that's that's why you moved over to Arkansas and you you bought that house and you you crafted this environment around yourself um, so that you have this environment to, um, to grow. Um, 
And that's why you work so hard. That's why you, you moved into investing. Um, and just on a hypothetical, I'd like you to think a few decades in the future and your son and daughter turns 10, you know, they're, they have a level of maturity that's starting to show and, and just enough childish wonder. So what's, what's one request or lesson that you would tell them uh, that would propel them through the rest of their lives? If I could impart one thing at age 10. Yeah. That's a very good question. If I could impart just a nugget at, at 10, I would say that wherever they felt fear in life, embrace it head on, tackle it and eliminate it, spend time there, you know, wallow in it uh, because it goes away. I mean, everything I've ever had any fear around or about I've just faced it head on and it has been uncomfortable, but I've grown through the experience. I've come out a better person, even for trying, even in some situations, uh, you know, that I didn't achieve what I set out to do. I was still better off than if I had never tried. And I feel like a lot of times people let fear keep them from the best decisions in their life. I feel like especially in investing, you know, the investing world, there's a lot of fear. We were talking about that and our risk tolerance and perception and all of that. Look, investing is a risk, risky business. You know, there's no reward without risk. So investment inherently comes with risk. But I would say combat that fear first with knowledge. So study it, learn it. You know, that's what they say, you know, keep your enemies closest, <laughs> you know, uh, because if you understand something, a lot of the fear is coming from just uncertainty. And I think that's what generates so much fear in so many people in so many situations is just the uncertainty in its generic form. It shows up in a lot of various other forms, but at the root of it all, it's ultimately uncertainty. And that's all that life is. So if you don't embrace it, you're going to be running from it you know, your entire life. And that's no way to live it. You don't want to run from your life. You want to embrace it. And the only way to do that is to face your fears. So I'd say, wherever you see fear, tack it, tackle it, <laughs> you know, make love to it <laughs> and enjoy the process if at all possible. Oh man, we're going to have that on our show notes as well. Cause that's, that's worthy of a quote. <laughs> well, <laughs> once again, it's Brian and hunter and here we have a proxy dimitri <laughs> i love that thing <laughs> oh i love that thing so much don't destroy that, that. <laughs> so good <laughs> all right <laughs> i hope you enjoyed episode six of scotch money show with a spotlight on hunter slay brian and hunter checking out <laughs>